So we're in Matthew chapter 8. So you can turn there. Matthew 8. We're going to be in verses 18 through 22. And the, the mirror passage to that is Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. Now, I'm not going to read the Luke passage, but what I'll do is I'm, I'm going to take out the last few verses from Luke and just plug them into the Matthew passage. Because Luke gives us just this, this third aspect of this heaviness that Jesus is talking about, all right? But we're going to be in Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 22. As you turn there, here is a, uh, I don't know, an, a disclaimer, an encouragement, if you will. And, and this is what it is, is that this sermon is not about doing more to earn favor with God or love from Jesus. I need us to hear that, right? This sermon is not about staying on God's good side or even doing more for Jesus. Jesus loves you. God the Father loves you. The Holy Spirit has love for you. Period. But this sermon is about a heart of gratitude. Our commitment level to the kingdom. And then a love towards God because he loved us first. So don't hear a checklist sermon. But tonight there is no way around the message that Jesus has for us. And that is that if you are saved, there is a cost. We must relinquish all. We must relinquish everything to gain Jesus. And that's done daily. So here's a review. Last week, uh, Rob went through and he gave us three overarching themes that we'll see in the book of Matthew. And I, I think we're going to be uh, just keep reminding you of these themes, right? They help us build and understand what Matthew is wanting us to learn and relearn. And it's this. One, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Secondly, God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. It doesn't look like what you and I would build or what the kings or, or leaders of this world or countries of this world have even attempted to build or will attempt to build. God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. Thirdly, Jesus is the answer. So those are the three overarching themes that are being pulled through Matthew and that Matthew wants us to, to understand and build on. So two things. First things first. And no shame in this. If, if you cannot say that Jesus is Lord, that first point there, if you cannot say that Jesus is Lord and that your life is his, right, this evening, if you're wrestling with that or if you can't say that, I want you to just sit with that this evening. And that's okay. Just sit with it. What is Jesus is Lord? What does that mean? Let it just saturate your heart and mind. It's okay. 
But then my question to that that I want you to add to it is what's holding you back? What's holding you back from just stepping into that wonderful unknown? But sit with that this evening. But then secondly, if Jesus is Lord and you can answer that with a clear conscience, then when's the last time that you counted the cost of following Jesus? When was the last time that we reevaluated everything that we have thought and believed to be sure that Jesus is Lord in our lives and that we're building God's kingdom by Jesus' standard? So again, we're going to be reading passages written by Matthew and, and Luke, and I, I honestly believe that they, they, it's going to force us to wrestle with some tension and this statement spoken of by Jesus, and that's okay. So let's jump in. Matthew chapter 8. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave the orders to cross to the other side. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, teacher... I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. This is where I plug in that Luke 9 here. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but, but first, let me, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a plow, a hand to the plow, and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Holy Spirit, help our minds and hearts understand this evening the word that you have for us. Amen. So like I said, tough statements, pretty point-blank statements. At Hope Church, we have this saying, the gospel is about humility and sacrifice, not comfort and privilege. But I read this verse or these verses, and the gospel is supposed to be good news, but this doesn't sound so good. And so then I, I, I get start to ask myself, and maybe you're asking yourself uh, this evening, is Jesus worth it? Is the mission of Jesus worth it? Is the kingdom of God worth it? Yeah, I'm telling you that it is. I think Jesus is telling you that it is, and he is challenging everything that we hold dear in light of who he is to show you that it is. And so in this very abrasive interchange between uh, uh, three people or three disciples, Jesus' statement is challenging our associations and our priorities. Jesus is challenging our associations and our priorities. So with the first disciple, that's verses 19 and 20. Teacher law came, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, foxes have dens, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. 
Jesus wants the listeners of his day, and he wants us today to understand that comfort and privilege do not fit in the upside-down kingdom. Many times, creature comforts that we enjoy and the things that bring us security, even good things, like a bed and a pillow. You best believe I love my bed and pillow, right? Or even the good things, like a roof over our heads, these gifts from God to renew and revive us must be set aside or at least understood as garbage in the light of the comfort and rest and security that Jesus is and that Jesus brings. It does not compare. Jesus understands our hearts. He, he, right, he understands our needs. He understands our, our wants and desires. But the question is, will we embrace and desire him all the more? Or are we going to embrace the creature comforts of this dying world? Jesus is challenging our associations and our priorities. There was a time, I, if you don't know, here you, here you go, I serve at the southern border with asylum seekers, migrants, refugees. And I remember there was a, 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 a time that it was just a, a hot day in Mexico in the middle of a busy city street, 3,000 refugees, right, or asylum seekers. It smells, it's dirty, right? Mexicans are being rude because we're serving people down there. There's military police everywhere. It was just a crazy day. I'm hearing stories. My heart is heavy. My soul is heavy. I got a migraine, probably dehydrated. It was just a long day. I was like, we got to take a break. It was a good thing I was only a few miles from the border, so we crossed over, get to the other side, right? Whew, I'm on American soil. And I was literally the first thing in my head after hearing stories and stories and, and reading through, through lawyers' paperwork and judges' uh, paperwork and everything. I'm just looking at paperwork and, and stuff. I just had a headache. And I was like, literally, I need a cold brew. Like, I just crossed over, not even like two miles, in the slums, in the streets, get back in America. So I'm hearing horror stories of how people walked and trekked 30 days from Central America up through Mexico to our border with only the clothes on their backs, right, one bottle of water. I get to the other side, and I'm like, team, we're going to Starbucks. I need a cold brew. Like, I'm, it sounds silly, right? But creature comfort. It wasn't Jesus that I ran to, to unleash and release back to him what I needed, which was a rest and a renewing and a, a renewing of strength, right? It wasn't me stopping like, Lord, what did I just see? See, Holy Spirit, help me process. No. It was the, the stupidity of filtered grounds in water. I know, we have to laugh. But I think it, in that simple little moment, oh, I'll even add this. I'm pretty sure someone on our team also had the nerve to give the barista an attitude after we just, what we just saw across there. And I was like, really? Really? 
but creature comforts. Am I going to run to Christ when things get heavy, when I don't know what to do with this? Treasured stories, interactions, frustrations, or, or would I let the like unsteadiness of life trigger me and then I run to sin rather than my Savior? We get this interaction from Peter, and Peter finding what I believe is comfort in his everyday routine of fishing. It says this in John. I'll read it to you. Forgive me. I don't know if it's up on the screen. But he says, after this, John writes, after this, Jesus appeared again to the disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter and the other disciples were together, and he says, I'm going fishing. Simon Peter told them, And they said, well, we'll go with you. So they went out, got in a boat, and by that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus, and he called out to them, friends, have you caught anything? No, they answered. He said, throw your nets on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because the large number of fish Then the disciples whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Verse 14, this is now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Pointing at the fish and the large number that he just caught. Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. He said, feed my lambs. Creature comforts. Think Peter goes back to what he knew, which was fishing. Peter goes back to what he knew, routine. Peter goes back to what he knew, back to work. This is what I do. Life is heavy. I got some issues at home. I'll just work it out. By staying at work or finding another pet project, another hobby, creature comforts. When Peter needed to clear his head, he did what was routine, but Jesus is telling him that there is something greater. And I love here that in this moment, Jesus meets him and he meets us where we are and allows us to see the bigger picture But are we willing to see the bigger picture? The second disciple in verses 21 and 22. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now, for us this seems like it's a slap in the face, right? It's like a slap in the face of everything that is good, right? And we say, well, God created the family structure. And I look, right, and and I ask, right, didn't God command that we honor our parents? Right? Isn't honoring our parents, isn't this like the highest form of honor at the end of life to be able to have a procession and lay your parents to rest? But again, I go back to my first point. Jesus is challenging all of our associations and our 
priorities. Now, I'll say this. As always, there's a few things happening in the dialogue that we don't get culturally, right? There's a lot more happening. So first, let's deal with this tension. As much as honoring and loving our parents and caring for our family is a high honor, to honor Jesus as Lord who created the family structure far outweighs that of interpersonal relationships. Okay? But now let me add more to the tension. Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate their father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Here's what's happening, especially all my high school people. Listen clearly, right? Because I'm not giving you permission to do anything. (laughs) Jesus says that the love we have for him should be so drastically different that it would seem that we hate our English word or reject our parents because we learn to love God and live for the kingdom all the more. Okay, we love God so much, it's almost like, man, you got anything left for me? That's what that is. You still honor your parents, right? You still honor the family structure. You still listen and obey. We still submit to authority. Jesus is greater than all. Jesus deserves and is deserving of still the excellent and higher honor. Worthy is his name. And because of a shift of our understanding from the temporary to the eternal, from the earthly to the heavenly, from self to the Savior has occurred now. It's no longer about me. It's no longer about here, but about God who has given all for us and to us. So it's a drastic mind shift. And so I read Romans 5.8 that says, But God demonstrated his own love for us in this while we were still sinners, enemies, rebels of God, Christ died for us. There are going to be times where we have to choose the things of God over life itself. But in doing so, God will never leave you nor forsake you. Relationships may fail. There might be a disconnect between parties that are not even looking to Jesus. Right? We've, we've even heard the stories of our brothers and sisters in Africa with Empower One of how they, they go back to some places where they will literally lose their lives. And they have said, today I'm saying goodbye because I'm going to see you in heaven once I return. We know that. We've heard the stories. But losing everything on this side of eternity for the sake of gaining everything on the other side, is everything. That's the life well lived. That's the higher calling, the eternal things. Have we counted the cost? 
Let me give you one more on the other side of the cultural thing of what's occurring. Jesus' demand seems harsh. Again, it does seem harsh to us in this modern day because funerals today really only last a few hours, right? It's brief. And so it would only briefly delay a commitment to following Christ in our modern day. But what's happening in ancient days, this, the like procession and what's happening with funerals, it literally would stretch over an entire year. Yeah. And so then what would happen is that a year after the initial internment, the eldest son was obligated to then gather the skeletal remains and place them in an ossuary box for a second burial. And then there, many Jews in that culture regarded the command to honor the father and mother, and especially in this moment, as a supreme command, as a supreme honor. Right? And they knew and viewed giving a parent an honorable burial in this uh, moment was like of utmost importance. But again, even in that full year, Jesus is saying and insisting that the honor due him is even greater than that. That's a crazy tension to manage, right? Here's one last piece, and I'll move on. Because you look at dialogue, always read. As you read and you soak through the scriptures, pay attention to the interactions and what's happening, right? It's almost doubtful, some commentators say, it's almost doubtful that this man's father had already died. Why? Because if he had, the man would have already been involved in the burial rites instead of being there in that crowd talking to Jesus. So if he had been off honoring his parents, if he had been off in the burial procession, if he had been off with family, this interaction would never happen, right? So mostly what's happening is that this guy is finding an excuse to delay his responsibilities of following Jesus in this moment that would potentially just delay the process years an excuse what are our excuses have we counted the 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 cost professor and writer karen ellis i love she says this the only way to center jesus in our lives is to decenter everyone else meaning that our hearts have to be aligned with the heart of god so as we live we will live on mission for God, proving that he is Lord and that Jesus is the answer for life. And that no matter what anyone else or no matter what anyone else will say or actually do, right, Jesus will be proved again that he is worthy in our lives. I've, I, Rob can tell you this, we have conversations all the time. What happens is when you start to align Christ in our lives, right, when you center Christ and you decenter everyone else, I'm going to tell you right now, people will not have nice things to say. You will be called names at the very least. Third disciple in Luke 9 says this, still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus is like, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service. So the question is, will we allow our relationships 
with friends or family to hold us back from being true disciples, true followers, true imitators of Jesus. Because you can't look over your shoulder while trying to move forward with kingdom business. The scriptures tell us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Why? Because just like him, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He knew his mission. Nothing was going to distract him. And in the wake of him moving forward, everybody was going to experience grace and truth and unfailing love and rich mercy and compassion to the glory of the Father. He was kingdom-minded. Scorning the shame, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, Hebrews 12, 2. Tuesdays, I've been able to have the privilege of going with Ben up to Ashley Ridge, and I love it because he reminds his kids, he's like, hey, I need a straight line when I'm painting lines on the football field. And, I, and he has two people hold the copper wire over, and he's like, listen, pay attention here. I need you to lock eyes on each other because when I arrive and I get to paint my line, I don't want to have to stop the mission. I want to be able to continue on and move forward And if you guys are not locked on and you're just off a little bit, that line's not going to be straight when Ben comes and starts to spray over the field, right? And I love that reminder. I love that spiritual implication. Lock in your eyes. Fix your eyes on Jesus. I recall a passage earlier, as we wrapped up the series of Sermon on the Mount, right, chapter 5 through 7, and Jesus said this, no one can serve two masters. You can't have a split loyalty. You can't serve ourself and a Savior. It's not how it works. If we are not focused on the mission at hand, or if we have a split devotion, you will veer off course. I will veer off course. Jesus knows us. He understands that in our sin and rebellion, we will relinquish the things of the kingdom and always hold on to the temporary because we love our creature comforts. And the cost of following Jesus is not easy, but it is excellent. So many times I, I get to tell stories of the southern border. Other times people read stories of my travels and interactions at the southern border. And again, I tell you, they, somebody always has something to say. It's not always pretty. But the more you love Jesus, and again, make sure that it's on the word of Jesus, and make sure that it's kingdom business. The more you do that, the more somebody has an opinion. But also on the other side, more often than not, they're probably not centering Christ in their lives and holding on to an idol or a creature comfort. I've been there. It's not easy, but it is excellent. So what's the application? I got three things for you. You ready? 
three things in application. Number one, stop stalling. There's no way around it. Serving Jesus means stepping into the unknown or the known of what he has for you and what he's called you to do. Christians, stop stalling. Like enough is enough. The world is looking for this raw grit that can only come from the gospel and the beauty of Jesus. Stop stalling. Err on the side of love. Move forward. Let's do something. Let's you and I have a conversation of what it means to step into kingdom business. To frustrate someone because you're loving like Jesus. Secondly, seek the kingdom. Seek the kingdom. As you and I read Jesus' words, what are we releasing now to gain a clear understanding of what God is doing? Seek the kingdom. Seek the kingdom. Open up the word. Jesus said it, usually written in red, and then go do it. The sin that's laid out by Paul in his, church, in his letters to the churches, Paul wrote it, according to Jesus' words, let's try to not do it. It's here, let's do it. Right, enough with reading God's word, or we come to Saturday night services, or we go to a Bible study, and we just leave with like, thumbs up, that was cool. We got to step into something. Back to my first point, stop stalling. What do we need to relinquish now? What idols need to be removed? Heaven knows I have a ton. What blinders have to be pulled back so we can see Jesus clearly? Third, talk to people and do good. Yeah, it's this simple. Jesus said, I'm leaving I'm going back. I am sitting at the right hand of the Father. I am sending the Holy Spirit to you, and I need you to have a conversation with somebody. I need you to tell them who I am. I need you to be a tangible presence of my goodness and my beauty in someone else's life. Help them to just wrap arms around them and embrace when they just feel broken and done. Let's encourage each other. Step into the darkness with the light of the Holy Spirit that resides within you. Talk to people and do good. We can't minister well if we aren't having intentional conversations and just being friendly. I have way too many conversations with unsaved people saying that Christians are just not friendly. They're not kind. Are you and I known as a kind person. I want to step into a time of prayer this evening. And so there's these prayers and encouragements that we're going to process. And kind of like we open up in service, right, we give this like brief moment to pause. And so this evening what I want you to do, I'm going to list through, and I hope you have a card and you were handed a card. If not, uh, Rob and Kim will pass them out. So raise your hand for this card. And I've written out seven about seven prayers written uh, by Justin McRoberts and, er and Scott Erickson. They've written some books on prayer. And here's what I want us to do. Just pray, Lord, 
Help me to count the cost. What is holding me back from being with people and doing good? Lord, why am I stalling? As much as I want us to hold on to this tension, I don't want you leaving here defeated, and I do not want you leaving here feeling like you have to check off a, a list to get on God's good side. No, Jesus loves you in spite of you. He's that good. Jesus loves me in spite of me. God the Father wants to and will embrace us because of Jesus. Thank God. But out of a gratitude and grateful hearts, how do we love God? So let's take a moment now. I'm going to read through these, but at the end I'll give you time. Liz is going to come up and play as we take some time to pray. But here's the first one. Is God, grant me the assurance of your presence and love. Sometimes we just don't get to the point where we are, we, we are understanding and experiencing and listening and hearing God's voice. The aha moments of Jesus being with me just hasn't been there lately. God, grant me the assurance of your presence and love. Secondly, may I never allow disappointment to lead me into despair, but always toward a more resilient and active hope. Thirdly, may I more clearly see my filters, my blind spots and biases so that I might recognize goodness, truth, and beauty beyond them. May I have vision in and through my season of trial rather than search for ways to escape. Creature comforts, cold brews. May I have the wisdom to exchange control and safety for the opportunity to serve and love. knowledge of my mortality inspire me to spend myself wildly and wisely rather than hold on tightly to my hours, my minutes, my strength, my time. It all belongs to the Lord. Lastly here, may the fear of being afraid never keep me from facing the things I am afraid of. Because Jesus said, I am always with you, even until the end of the world. So would you just take a moment now? Again, if you don't know Jesus as Lord, just tonight, that's all you got to wrestle with. What does that mean? What does that look like? What's holding me back? That's, that's what you're processing. Anybody else who's committed to Jesus said, yes, Jesus is Lord, take time to pray through this and say, what is holding me back or how can I refine my processes, Father, so that you are seen clearer? Take some time now and I'll come back in prayer. Here's a small prayer. 
like to write and jot down my prayers so I'm not just rambling off before the Lord. Helps me because I talk a lot. But here's a prayer that I want to pray over you, pray over us before Rob and the guys come up to continue our time of worship and a family meeting. But it's this, Father God, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit who resides within us, enable us to catch fresh healing and new visions of who you are, O God, so that our sacrifices may be worthy of your honor. I pray these things in Christ's wonderful name. Amen.